0: Good morning, my name is Peter Kroll, I'm one of the elders here for our church, and if you're visiting with us for the first time, we are really delighted to have you here. Thank you for joining us. There is a Christmas carol I don't particularly care for, musically speaking, but the poem is terrific. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by, yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Bethlehem, this little town, was... The place where Jesus Christ was born. And when he illuminated the world like a bright light on dark streets. All the hopes and fears of humanity came together to be resolved in him. How could one person hold all of that together? Later in the poem... Mr. Brooks, the poet, comments on the angels proclaiming the birth of Christ. He calls them the morning stars. Together proclaim the holy birth and praises sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. You see, Jesus was God the King. This morning I'd like to reflect on what sort of king that means he must be. To understand that, we'll look at an old Jewish prayer for the king. A prayer that expresses the hopes and fears of Israel for their ideal king. That prayer is found in Psalm 72. If you have one of the church Bibles, it's on page 454. And in short, we'll find in this psalm that in light of the hopes and fears of humanity through all the years, we need a king whose integrity and legacy will win. That's where we're heading this morning. We need a king whose integrity and legacy will win. So you can see on your outline, we'll talk about these three ideas, the king's integrity, his legacy, and his victory. Let me pray for our time together in God's word. Our Father in heaven, Lord, you sent your son to be the savior of the world, and you have declared him to be king of kings and lord of lords. Help us to see in the face of Christ, the King that we've all been waiting for through human history, the one in whom all of our hopes and fears are resolved. And we ask that you would strengthen us and open our eyes as we take a look at Psalm 72. Fill us with your spirit that we might see him whom you have prepared to be your just and righteous King of all. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 72 contains three prayers for the King of Israel. And the first prayer is a prayer for justice, or as I will call it, integrity. Let me read verses 1 through 7. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. Right in verse 1, we see that this poem is a prayer. It's a prayer of Solomon, as the superscript says up there. And it's a prayer. The poet speaks directly to God, pleading with God to take his own virtues of justice and righteousness and to give them to the king. Justice and righteousness make a pretty powerful combination for a ruler. Righteousness is all about being right in yourself. And justice is all about doing what's right for others. In Psalm 97, it speaks frankly of God's own royal throne. Where in verse 2 it says, righteousness and justice are the foundation ...of God's throne. Here in Psalm 72, the poet wants God to take these two traits... ...that belong first of all to himself... ...and he asks God to share them liberally... ...with the human king of Israel. Give the king your justice, O God. Give your righteousness to the royal son. I will use the word integrity to refer to this combination of justice and righteousness. When a king, any person, but especially a king, both is right in himself and does what is right by others. Just picture with me for a moment what it would be like to have a ruler like the one described in this poem. According to verse 2, he would treat high and low with equal fairness, with his integrity guiding his decisions more than popularity or political concerns. According to verse 3, he would want people to prosper. He wouldn't overtax them. He wouldn't try to redistribute their wealth. He would know that that prosperity, wealth is not a zero-sum game and there's more than enough to go around so that all can prosper. According to verse 4, he would give special attention to the poor and the needy. In other words, his justice, his integrity would have two sides to it. On one side, he would make sure that the needy are taken care of and can share in the cultural prosperity. And on the other side, there would be no room for oppressors within his kingdom. Anyone who tries to take advantage of another person would be brought swiftly to justice. Because he takes care of business in the right way everyone benefits according to verse five all would learn to fear him But that's not a bad thing it's a wonderful thing it's like verse six like receiving rain showers to water the earth in other words the people fear this king the way the athletes on a championship team fear their head coach the respect runs deep Because they know this leader brings out the best in all of us and we would never cross him lest we ruin the good thing we've got going together. Because the right, the result, we we trust him, we fear him because the result of his justice and righteousness, according to verse 7, would be that the righteous flourish in his days and peace abounds. Now wouldn't that be something? Imagine if we had a government and a leader who did all that for us. Imagine if we didn't even have to debate things like equity or reparations or affirmative action or the minimum wage because the ruler made sure that everyone was treated fairly that nobody went without what they needed and that anyone who showed bias or partiality was swiftly removed from any position of authority imagine if political corruption was not tolerated by power nor propagated in the media but your political leaders set an example of charity and philanthropy cultivating a culture of caring for those in need and bringing everyone into the community's thriving. It's fun to dream because doesn't everybody want a leader who will promote justice and propagate the doing of good? A leader who lives out of his integrity Practically bringing heaven down to earth and making it possible for entire communities to flourish together. Now, maybe the picture I'm painting sounds naive or foolishly idealistic. I mean, even if we had access to such a person, wouldn't he be laughed out of the halls of Congress? But friends, this is the hope and fear of Advent season. The season where we remember what it was like to wait for God's promised King. This season leading up to the celebration of Jesus' arrival and birth. Because when Jesus was born, did not the angels promise that peace on earth was now available to those with whom God is pleased? Was not Jesus' life all about modeling the righteousness of God and doing good to everyone, especially those in need? Was he not feared by oppressors who wanted to maintain their positions of power to the detriment of the people they were supposed to serve? So by way of application... When there is a lack of integrity in the world at large, it can be far too tempting for the people of God to pursue worldly solutions to universal problems. So, for example, all Christians acknowledge that racism is evil. But many Christians get so hung up on only one possible solution to it, and they forget how to have constructive conversations with people who have a different perspective. And so from anxiety over the issue, patience and kindness go out the window. And we start to label opponents even within the, the kingdom of God. We label opponents and we separate into camps just like the rest of the world does. So one side feels they need to resist the supremacists or the Christian nationalists and the other side feels they need to resist going woke. But what we all need is a king whose integrity will win. A king who sees and hears and knows what people are going through. A king who will do right by everyone. That's what Advent is all about. Remembering what it's like to wait for that king to come. Because even if you already know that Jesus is that king and that he's already come, it's just so easy to forget the implications of that, isn't it? It's so easy to forget That he is in charge and I am not. It's so easy to forget that he cares even more about our flourishing than we do. It's so easy to forget that he knows what will lead to true and lasting peace and prosperity. And his way of pursuing such things is far superior to my miserable attempts to seize them for myself. In particular, peace comes through dying to self. Isn't that what Jesus taught and showed us? Prosperity comes through self-sacrifice. Jesus said, Whoever loses their life for me will find it. We need a king whose integrity will win. But that's not all we also need a king whose legacy will win that's point number two legacy we need a king whose legacy will win a leader whose legacy will win we may have had an abraham lincoln 160 years ago but where is he now The nation of Israel had a golden age under King David. But even David is dead and gone by the time his son Solomon writes Psalm 72. What good does it do us to have a leader with integrity if that leader will just have to leave office when his term runs out? What do we do when we're back to square one and we're in need of the right king Again, well, the end of this poem describes the hopes and fears of all the years. Look at verses 15 through 17 with me. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land, on tops of the mountains may it wave, may its fruit be like Lebanon, and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun, may people be blessed in him, all nations call him blessed." I'll stop there in my reading. If you've got an open Bible in front of you, you you see that there are three more verses in Psalm 72 here. But those three verses aren't really the conclusion to this poem. They are the conclusion to the entire collection of poems that began with Psalm 42 and concludes here but the end of psalm 72 itself is in verses 15 through 17 where the poem looks to the future of this ideal king's reign verse 15 long may he live verse 17 may his name endure forever you see they needed a king whose legacy would continue now what might that look like What he says in verse 15 is that his own subjects love him and bless him and pray for him continually. According to verse 16, the abundance and the prosperity that flows from his rule would never run dry. And according to verse 17, we're told that because he is such a blessing to his people, their state of blessedness would last as long as he does. So if his throne endures forever, and nothing can bring his rule to an end, and old age or death have no power over him, that is all for their good. For their, the people's blessing. Friends, the people of God for generations could only hope for a king who would reign forever. And they had much fear that this might never come to pass. But one day, a supernatural being delivers a message to a young woman engaged to be married. And he tells her in Luke 1 verse 32 that to her son god will give the throne of david and he will reign over the house of jacob forever so he will have an enduring legacy jesus was born to take up this inheritance to claim the throne that rightfully belonged to him. He was born to execute God's righteousness and God's justice, crushing the oppressor and caring for the needy. His first followers caught the vision. They gave their lives to it. They were thrilled to support his claim to kingship. So just imagine how devastating it was for them. When they saw their king falsely accused, unjustly arrested, deceitfully tried, and pathetically executed. Jesus did die, and it seemed to them that maybe, after all, he was not the one. To redeem Israel's hopes and fears. But all of that was God's predetermined plan. For beginning to make everything right again. Three days after dying Jesus rose from the dead. Never to die again. And that which seemed like poetic exaggeration in Psalm 72. Or maybe a metaphorical hope. It became literally true because according to verse 15 jesus still lives today and according to verse 17 his name still endures as the name that is above every name and on the last day every knee will bow to him and every tongue will confess that he is lord so how does this apply If you love the Lord Jesus and desire to serve him, remember his legacy rightly. Make sure you represent him well. You see, the only time there's a problem with Jesus' legacy is when they paint a picture of a fake Jesus. Either they make him look like a lunatic or they make him look like someone who just gives you whatever you want and doesn't ask anything of you. But his true legacy is that he reigns as king now and forever. He is in charge and we are not. And when we profess him as Lord and we bow the knee to him and we live in obedience to him, we show the world that the king lives. In addition, you should be honored to be named after him. Be proud to have the name Christian upon you that word which was originally coined as an insult it means little christs all those little christs running around it, it was a very condescending term but the early church embraced it don't hide it or be ashamed of it because you follow the only leader who will ever last where is moses where is muhammad Where's the Buddha? Jesus, your king, your hope is alive. And your fear is satisfied. Because there is one hero of history whose legacy cannot be corrupted. One who lives forever to accomplish his will and protect his people. Knowing him is to know life and flourishing his blessing becomes our blessing and not just for one group of people but for all nations who will call him blessed that's jesus he's the king we need we need his integrity we need his legacy but both of those things will do little good for us unless he wins if you can knock him down, or shut him up, or otherwise cancel him, then what do we gain? We need a king whose integrity and legacy will win. That's why the meat of the poem, sandwiched between the king's integrity and his legacy, is the king's victory. We see this in verses 8-14. through 14. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Here at the heart of the poem, Solomon asks God to grant this king, in verse 8, dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. We need to grasp how big a request that was. You see, when God promised To give the land of Canaan to Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. The most he ever promised Abraham in Genesis 15, 18. Was that they would own the land from the river of Egypt, the Nile. To the great river, the Euphrates. And Israel as a nation never actually owned that much territory in their history. Yet, instead of lamenting that fact, Solomon sets his sights even higher. See, it would not be enough for the ideal king of Israel to rule from river to river. He must rule from sea to sea. Sure, the Euphrates River would be a good starting point, but Solomon asks for the king's territory to extend from that river to the ends of the earth. In verse 9, he wants the inhabitants of deserts far and wide to bow before him. He wants all enemies to be defeated. In verse 10, he goes as far away as he knows to go at the time. Tarshish and Sheba. And he wants the inferior kings of those places to bring tribute to Israel's king. It might be like us saying something like, may the president dig a hole all the way to China so they can honor him with gifts of ivory and spices and maybe some t-shirts and electronics while he's there because it's all made there. Solomon's prayer here is nothing short of wanting the king of Israel to win. To gain superiority over all nations of the earth, such that they bow before him and pay him tribute. And to be very clear, this is not about colonialism. This is not about cultural snobbery. Remember from verses 16 and 17, that when people bless this king, they themselves will be blessed. His justice and righteousness will be to them like, verse 6, rain falling on mown grass. When he flourishes, everyone flourish, flourishes. This is the sort of king that nations want to serve because he brings out the best in them and everybody does better as a result. This king's great blessing is drawn out further in verses 12 through 14. Verse 12, he delivers the poor and the needy. Verse 13, he has pity on the weak. And in 14, he redeems them all from oppression and violence. Why does he do that? Because their blood is precious in their in his sight. When Solomon wrote this poem, it was just a dream. A beautiful, if somewhat exaggerated, wish for the King of Israel. But friends, from where we stand, as those who celebrate Advent, the coming of Jesus Christ, the one whom we already know came in the flesh, we know that God has answered these prayers by sending His Son from heaven god answered these prayers in jesus in luke 1 when that angel appears to jesus's mother he doesn't only tell her that her son will take the throne of david he doesn't only tell her that he will reign over the house of jacob forever he then also claims that his kingdom will have no end Friends, Jesus' kingdom will have no end in time. And his kingdom will have no end in space. Jesus affirms this fact when he claims that upon his resurrection from the dead, all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him. The book of Revelation declares that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. In First Corinthians, the apostle Paul claims that he shall reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. And in Philippians 2, Paul describes the fate of all people, in all the world, in all of history. That because God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord To the glory of God the Father. This was Solomon's prayer for the King of Israel. Brothers and sisters, I know you love it when Jesus prays for you. But do you ever pray these things for Him? Do you pray for Jesus' reign to grow in all the earth until all bow the knee? Do you ask God to extend the reach of Christ's dominion to the ends of the earth? Do you beg for the blessing of redemption and the blessing of peace And the blessing of human flourishing to flow from the throne of Christ through his people and out to the ends of the earth. I sure hope you do pray for these things because you can't pray for these things without allowing your heart to be stirred by them. Such that you then get out to work to participate in the Father's work of bringing these things to pass. We need a king whose integrity and legacy will win. He does not win through the sword of military conquest. He does not win through the election of the right people into office, public office. He wins through the extension of redemption to the needy, through the rescue Of those whose blood is precious in his sight. This is what Advent is all about. The coming of the Son of God. The King. The blessing of God extending from the throne of Christ. Out through his people. And then to the ends of the earth. So as you continue enjoying the anticipation of this season. May you come to appreciate the blessed kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have not bowed the knee to Him yet, then today is your day. Come to Him so you can find life and you can live in the sort of joy and flourishing you were made for. We need a King. We need a king with integrity and we need a king with a lasting legacy. And especially we need a king whose integrity and legacy will win. Please pray with me. Our father in heaven, Lord, we are your people, the people of your heritage. And you have entrusted us to your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask, O Lord, that you would please give the king, King Jesus, your justice. Give him your righteousness. That he may judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Long may he live. May tribute be brought to him from all nations. May all kings fall down before him and all nations serve him. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.